Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast with Dr. Kim Moss. We're absolutely passionate and committed to equipping believers to move forward in their life with Jesus, their careers, and their family. Each episode is designed specifically with you in mind to help you overcome the obstacles you're facing and truly move forward. We know you'll love this episode. Here's your host, Kim Moss. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Dr. Kim Moss, and I have a very special guest with me today that I know that you're going to love and is going to give us so much prophetic insight. And uh, I really wanted you to hear him, and he's a very good friend of mine. This is Rabbi Eric Walker. He is the executive director of Igniting a Nation Ministries in Birmingham, as well as a best-selling author and a sought-after speaker, teacher of prophecy in the news. After 35 years of working in corporate America, he devoted himself to full-time ministry and founded one of the largest messianic congregations in the world. He has hosted, co-hosted, and been a regular contributor on hundreds of radio and TV programs. He has a strong media voice, averages over 250 in-person speaking engagements per year. That's busy, folks, let me tell you. And he is a strong advocate for Israel and takes groups there every year. His traditional Jewish upbringing and journey to faith in Jesus gives him a unique perspective on both the Old and New Testaments. Originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he is a Penn State alum and holds both a rabbinical and Baptist ordination, which makes him very special. And more than that, he is my friend. And uh, Rabbi Eric Walker, thank you so much for being on my program. I am so excited to hear from you today. Well, I'm honored. I'm blessed. You are very dear to me. You are a uh, clear voice of reason in a world caught up in sensationalism. And you're the real deal. And I have such esteem, awe, and respect for your gifts and for you uh, being a uh, really a protector of those gifts. And it, uh, it moves me. And that's why you are a regular guest <laughs> on my daily show. I am. And, uh, join us every month as we do uh, three live global broadcasts connecting 220,000 servers across 110 nations, three hours live every day. That's incredible. And I love what I love about you so much, what I've fallen in love with is that you not only have a wealth of biblical knowledge and you, you bring to it the, the Jewish aspect that many of us do not have and an understanding of the Old Testament, especially that how it connects with the New Testament that is so important for believers today. But you combine that with prophetic insight and wisdom, and that is a rare gift. And that is something that I, I just love. And I'm always hungry when we get together. You guys don't know this, but every time we have a, have a session together, almost every, well, the Holy Spirit always shows up. But one of the things that I love so much is that I ask questions and then he sends me his teachings. And so I'm always learning from you, Rabbi Eric, and I love it so much. And you are a very dear friend to me too. I just love and respect you very much. So I'm so excited, but we don't have a lot of time. So I wanna just get into this. Um, before the show, I had asked Rabbi Eric if he would talk about certain things. I wanted to hear a little bit uh, Rabbi Eric, about your journey, because I don't, I don't think I've ever heard the whole thing either. And, um, but would you spend just a little bit of time uh, sharing with me and my audience how you came to know Jesus? I'll make this, I'll give you the two and a half minute version. <laughs> okay. I was raised in an Eastern European home. My father was from Hungary. My family, we came from Southern Poland, Western Ukraine, a little country called Galicia. Uh, if you've watched Fiddler on the Roof, 1904, my grandfather, his six brothers and sisters, mother and father, came from that region and lived in that kind of shtetl. And so they came to America and were sponsored to come to America. Planned in America, my great-grandfather was a rabbi in Pittsburgh. And every third generation male in my family has been a rabbi going back 16 generations. I am that third generation. Uh, my father wanted nothing to do with Judaism. He knew the persecution that they faced in Eastern Europe. Uh, he married my mother 13 years younger than him. She was going to go however he wanted to go. But my offender was for my grandfather. And so he took me starting at three years old. I walked to the synagogue with him every Friday night 
every Saturday morning and every Sunday morning, and I sat with them. When they put me in preschool, I sat. I hid under the desk of the rabbi because I didn't want to be with the other kids. And so for three years, the rabbi would pass me sheets of paper. They started out as just little pictures of the Hebrew letters. And after three years, I had the alphabet. And then I went off to regular school. Uh, I always pursued, because of my grandfather's love for Israel, my Jewish heritage. It was important. I had to know the loss we suffered in the family. Half of our family died in the Holocaust. And so because of that, I had a great desire to relate to my grandfather, who imparted to me. He was the wise elder who cared for me. He knew I needed a special touch. I came from a family where his father was a Prussian general in a very difficult time in Eastern European history. So I was drawn to it. I loved it. I loved my heritage. I loved the fact that I was Jewish. Uh, I didn't know that there was anything else. I grew up in a Catholic city, but in a Jewish bubble and in a Jewish ghetto. And so I went to Jewish schools and I was surrounded by Jewish friends. And we didn't have Gentile friends. We didn't have uh, neighborhoods. We were kind of centered and we were insulated. The community center was there. All that was there. As I went off to college, I had my same Jewish friends I had in school. I had gone off boarding school, but when I returned, I went to Penn State, <clears throat> reconnected with my Jewish friends. We graduated college together, and I went off to New York City, the Jewish capital of America, and I stayed connected with the synagogue. I didn't leave the synagogue. And so uh, 1975, I moved to Atlanta, and wound up in an arranged Orthodox marriage. I joined the Orthodox synagogue and um, believed that this was what I was called to do. It was not, and uh, I began to learn, deeply learn about Orthodoxy and uh, the ritual and the very legalistic aspects of compliance to an Orthodox lifestyle. And it was not for me. And in four years, it led to what would be the equivalent of an annulment. Mm -hmm. But I had a relationship with the rabbi, and he was a world-renowned scholar, and I chose to sit under him. And so for the years that I was in Atlanta until 1983, before I went to California, I sat with him from 1975 to 1983, uh, and studied with him, met with him during the week and studied and developed my understanding. But it was a rabbinical view. It was not a biblical view. And I left very dissatisfied. And a lot of our discussions turned into arguments because I had questions like, why in the Jewish Bible, which was the only Bible I knew, I didn't know anything about a New Testament. I knew nothing about what the Christians or the Gentiles read. I just knew my Bible, which ended in Second Chronicles. Uh, that's the writing of the Tanakh. You have the first five books, then you have the prophets, and then you have the writings. It's ordered in a different order than the Christian Bible. And those questions I had, like when did Genesis 3.15, when was that fulfilled? When did the seed of the woman crush the head of the seed of the serpent? Why can't I read about that? If this is a book of prophecy, then where's the fulfillment? When did these things happen? What was to come? I moved to Los Angeles. I immediately got connected with the uh, Jewish community in Los Angeles and began to study with a rabbi in L.A. And we continued in this debate, this very Socratic argument about, and he would give me the rabbinical answer. And I would say, I don't want the rabbinical answer. I want to know what God has to say. And I said, well, you're not ready. If you want to know what God has to say, then go to Jerusalem, go to Yeshiva, go study in Jerusalem. And there maybe you'll find your answers. But I was on the corporate path and didn't do that. Uh, wound up in 1989, adopted a newborn baby. It was a complete gift from God. I knew nothing about it was about to happen. I got a call from an attorney six weeks before this young 16-year-old was about to give birth and was asked if I wanted to adopt a child. And I was his only client that could afford this adoption. I had never considered being a parent before, and I said yes. So I spent the next six weeks with the birth mother. The birth mother 
delivered. The baby was handed to me. This was July of 1989. Handed it to me in the delivery room. I took three months off of work to be with her, and I developed pneumococcal pneumonia. And it's the same thing that killed Jim Henson. And uh, in October of 1989, I died. I died on a crash cart in Brea, California. As they were working on me, the crash cart, I had an out-of-body experience where I could see them working on me. But I only had one thought. It wasn't about God. It wasn't about seeing a light. It was about, what about the promise I made to the baby? And I don't know what period of time, but when I woke up, my chest was bare and my baby was laid across my chest and my arms were wrapped around her. I decided at that point I was leaving Los Angeles and going back to Atlanta where my southern roots were. That's where I went in 75 after college. And this was a journey. Why did this happen? I, uh, for the first time in my life, I had Gentile friends. And they said, oh, you ought to come to church with us. And I would say, I'm Jewish. And they would say, I'm sorry. And I would go, you're sorry? And that kind of offended me. And what are you sorry about? Well, we don't want to offend you. We don't want to upset you. We love you. And they kept persisting and saying, come to church with us. And I would say, but I'm Jewish. And they would say, I'm sorry. Finally, they came to me and they said, well, we found a place that's really Jewish. And you should go. And that provoked me. And I said, what do you know about being Jewish? What do you know about having aunts and uncles and cousins you'll never know because they died in the Holocaust? What do you know about the price we've paid for thousands of years to perform what God instructed us to do was to protect the oracles of God? The reason that you have a Bible is because my people did our job. We protected the oracles of God. That was our assignment in the Bible the Jews were to protect the oracles of God. But they got me to thinking. And I wound up clandestinely calling this Messianic congregation during the week and spoke to the secretary. And she answered all my questions. And she said, I'll set up an appointment with you with the rabbi. And I told my friends I'd been talking. And they said, well, look, we'll take you. And I woke up on a Saturday morning, <clears throat> three weeks before my 45th birthday, I decided, why do I need a Gentile to take me somewhere to show me something Jewish? I went by myself. I was greeted. The guy that greeted me was obviously very Jewish. The rabbi came out and he greeted me and he was obviously very Jewish. Took me into the synagogue, which was obviously very Jewish. And proceeded to go through the same traditional liturgy and ritual that we did in the synagogue. It was no different until it came time for the message. And if you remember the velvet pictures of Elvis, (laughs) right? My rabbi was my velvet Elvis. You know how no matter where you walk in the room, the eyes of the velvet Elvis followed you? Yes. Well, this was the rabbi on the pulpit. No matter where he went, his eyes were glued to me. As if I was somebody that was in a position of honor. And he sat me in the second pew right on the end. Mm -hmm. And he talked to me. And I had no idea what his message was going to be. But the message he prepared, he didn't deliver. The message he prepared was about the Lamb of God. And he took me to Mount Moriah. And he took me to the binding of Isaac. And how God brought that lamb, that ram, as a substitute, as a sacrifice. He then took me to Exodus chapter 12 and introduced me to the Lamb of God who shed blood on the doorpost of the house, sealed the fate of my people, that we might be delivered from bondage. And then he introduced me to a Jewish man named Yochanan, the immerser, who made a statement that Christians all over the world have said a thousand times and have no idea the import of the message. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Judaism, there is no ability to take away sin. Hmm. Your sin is covered the same way God began the covering system in the Garden of Eden. So too, through the Levitical system of the Mosaic Law, sin was covered. Only one time a year, on the Day of Atonement, did the priest lay his hands on the goat and the scapegoat was taken out. And that sin was taken away. But there was no provision in Judaism for sin to be taken away. This was stunning to me. 
that the same lamb that appeared on Mount Moriah, the same lamb whose blood was shed, that sealed the doorpost of the house, brought the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And when I was asked if I wanted a relationship with that lamb, the lamb who redeemed us, who redeemed Israel, the lamb who redeemed Israel from the bondage to Pharaoh, did I want a part of that lamb sent by God to die for me, to take away my sin? Amen. The first time I heard that gospel message preached in a language I understood, not I'm going to die, got to be saved, yeah. I raised my hand. And I came forward. And my new life began. I was discipled, I was shepherded, I was a senior executive with Hewlett Packard. I left, mm -hmm. I went into business for myself so I could devote more time, have more control over study. I was in every discipleship class. And ultimately, was called to full-time ministry, went to do postgraduate work in first century Judaism, which has been my expertise of connecting the dots and reminding people that there was no Old Testament, there was no New Testament at the time of Jesus. There was no New Testament when right. Paul came on the scene. This was the development of the New Testament. So everything had to be looked at. The words of Jesus had to be examined in a Jewish context. And so it became important that since Paul wasn't here, I truly felt that when I accepted the Messiah, who now will be Paul? Who now will be an ambassador, an apostle to the Gentiles to say, you're engrafted into the Commonwealth of Israel. Do you know who you are? Yeah. Do you know what you're a part of? And you believe in a Jewish Messiah and you don't have to convert because I didn't have to convert. What would I convert to to believe in the Jewish Messiah? And so from that point on, and in 2007, I left everything, a seven-bedroom mansion, came to Birmingham, Alabama to plant a congregation, a city I'd never been in, and it grew to 2,250 people. About 5% of the Jewish population of Birmingham came to faith. And in 2013, I stepped down, took a sabbatical year, wrote a best-selling biblical thriller, uh, went on a media tour, had a uh, syndicated radio program, and then in 2017, we launched the United Nations Broadcasting Network, and now we reach millions across the world, and we're prime time in Israel because of Romans 1.16, where Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, but it's the power of God for salvation for all who believe to the Jew first. That's my story. Wow. Wow, I... I had no idea. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. It brings alive for me. Hebrews is my favorite book in the Bible because, and it's always been my favorite book because it feels to me like a marriage between the old and new Testament. And, uh, and I love, I love chapters nine and 10, the best or my most favorite of my favorite book, but it does talk about the high priest that stands before the altar and offers a sacrifice year by year, but there remains a, rema a reminder of sin every year until Jesus came and died once and for all and, uh, and took away even that, you know, and, and that sort of almost like your story, you know, and that, that was really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And, and along with that, um, not that I don't want to spend more time on that, but I, I do, but I think that, I think that what you just shared about your role on the earth right now and your assignment of bringing more understanding is one of the reasons that I really wanted to talk to you today because we are in a moment in time that is so historic in this nation and all over the world, you know, because the pandemic and everything that's going on is, is global. And oftentimes what happens here in the U.S. affects many of the other nations. What happens in Israel affects many of the other nations. And, and right now we're in this moment in time where God is resetting everything and he is visiting us. And it's a very serious time. And I, and I fear um, and I have a concern that the body of Christ here in the Western world, in the Western hemisphere, and dare I say our nation, um, don't completely understand what's going on. And so I wanted to talk with you about a few of the scriptures that were on my heart. And, uh, and I know that you have prophetic insight to give. And, uh, and so let's talk about 
Um, do we want to talk about Jeremiah 29 11 first? Sure. All right. So it's been on my heart and, um, and I, I know that you have a lot to bring to this passage of scripture, but you know, we in the body of Christ use that scripture so often to, as like an escape hatch, you know, we get in a, in a, in a hard, a hard situation. We get in a, a, a difficult circumstance and we say, well, but God, you know, for, I know the plans I have for you, they're for good and not for evil. And, you know, to give you a future and a hope. And this is true yet it's spoken to a people who are, in exile in a foreign land they have been dislocated from everything that is familiar to them and they're having to navigate in this new time and there's many things that brought them into this time uh that was because because of their disobedience and 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 yet still god has a plan for them in the midst of this time and and so they need to hear with the ears of the spirit and they need to obey and participate in what God is doing. I feel like we're in a time like that. And, um, but um, would you speak to that Rabbi Eric, would you tell us, would you give us more insight into that from your perspective, um, the Jewish perspective, understanding that Old Testament passage and also your prophetic insight? Cause I know you have that as well. I will. <clears throat> I want to read the passage to you in context because snippet theology is exactly what it is when a pastor preaches a message on just Jeremiah 29 11. Mm -hmm. Snippet theology. It's taking something that right out of the middle without all that went with it. Yeah. And so if I start in Jeremiah 29 verse 4 in the Hebrew text, it says, Thus said Hashem, Master of legions, God of Israel, to all the exile who I have exiled from Jerusalem to Babylonia. Build houses and settle. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to men. And let them give birth to sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not let your numbers diminish. Seek the peace of the city to which I have exiled you and pray for it to Hashem, for through its peace will you have peace. For thus says Hashem, Master of legions, God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your magicians delude you. Do not listen to your dreamers whom you appoint to dream. For it is all falsehood that they prophesy to you in my name. I did not send them the word of Hashem. For thus said Hashem, after 70 years for Babylonia have been completed, I will attend to you and I will fulfill for you my favorable promise to return you to the place. For I know the thoughts that I am thinking for you, the word of Hashem, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. You will then call out to me and follow me. You will pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me. If you search for me with all your hearts, I will make myself available to you the word of Hashem, and I will return your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places I have dispersed you, the word of Hashem, and I will return you to the place from which I exalt you. That's the story, right there in the middle of it. Yeah. You're in exile. You're in exile because, like in the wilderness, you wanted meat. You weren't satisfied with freedom. You wanted meat. And so I gave you so much meat that it came out of your nostrils. Mm -hmm. You wanted, you love the idols more than you love me. So now I'm going to send you to a land of idolatry. What happened begins in Genesis 11. Man wanted to build. Here you have Cain. Cain's punishment was... That first of all, and this will weave in a little bit with our other topic of a king. Mm -hmm. God placed a seal on Cain. And on that seal was a message that no one should come near him and touch him. Yes. And the curse of Cain was that no longer would the land yield its sustenance to him. Therefore, he chose to build on the land. And this is where we get the Tower of Babel. Yeah. As they began to ascend to the clouds, God declared, if these people do this in one accord, in one voice, in one tongue, 
Yeah. Nothing will be impossible for them. Let us confuse them with language and therefore defeat their purpose. The language of the Bible was Hebrew. Yeah. How do we know it was Hebrew? How do we know the spoken language? Because in Zephaniah, he tells us that the language of heaven will be a pure language. You know, of all the languages in the world, Hebrew is the only language that does not have a curse word in it. Yeah. You have to leave Hebrew to find a curse word. It was designed that way in the 600,000 plus words or in the Old Testament and in the now hundreds of thousands of words added to voc the vocabulary. They're very keen and very clear on never introducing anything that would be used as a curse word. Beautiful. So here at Babel, we maintain the Hebrew tongue and the Hebrew tongue survived until our idol worship got us exiled to where we lost our tongue. You see, the language of the world at that time was Hebrew. Now we had to learn Aramaic. And Aramaic replaced Hebrew. So Babel, now we were now confused by language and we lost our tongue and our tongue stayed dead. The Hebrew became a dead spoken language until the late 1800s when the first wave of settlers came back and Dr. Ben Yehuda wanted to revive Hebrew as a spoken language. But between those years of 586 BC to the year 1880, Hebrew was a dead language. It was only written in the scrolls and not spoken. Wow. This was punishment. And there were warnings that came before the punishment. But there was a cost, there was still a price, and the price we paid was part of our identity, which was our language. We literally lost our tongue. We also now have a reversal of God's position in Deuteronomy, where he commands us not to intermarry, not to intermingle, not to take on foreign wives, and not to have children by those foreign wives, lest we take on their gods. Well, we defied God, and so now he sent us to a place where he blessed us to intermingle. He told us, don't use this time as a time out where you don't marry. Don't use this as a time out where you don't prosper. Don't use this as a time where you don't replenish the earth. But do it differently than I commanded you in Deuteronomy. I will regather you back because I'm sovereign over all of this. I'll bring you back. I'll fix all of this. And I'll regather the outcast of Israel. And that will be a sign when I regather the outcast of Israel. And Israel is once again. Israel was not once again until 1948. Yes. That's and so right. now God is regathering the outcast of Israel as he's been doing since we returned from the Babylonian exile. And it is profound and it's prophetic, but it comes with warnings. And God has a pattern of first giving us warnings, signs, yeah. prophetic signs and signs in the natural. I alluded to 2001, 9-11, yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. COVID-19 added to 2001. 19 plus 01 is 2020. 20. 2001 plus 19 is 2020. Mm -hmm. Was that a warning? Was that at the gateway? What most people don't know that, that New York was the first to pass the laws of abortion in 1970. This is the 50th year, the jubilee year of the shedding of blood. Mm. 60 million babies' blood cries out from the ground. And God heard when he said to Cain, where is your brother? He said, why do you ask? Because his blood cries out from the ground. And the same warning he gave to him, he gives to us. Yeah. If you do what is right, will it not be accepted? But sin is crouching at the door, and if you don't tame it, it will overtake you. Whew. Wow, that raises the hair on my arms. <laughs> yeah. We go back to Cain. God marked Cain. Yes. The word was marked, but it was a seal. He sealed Cain so that others would see that sign, that mark. 
when we take a look in the Hebrew, the mark that was on the wall in Exodus chapter 12 is the same word for mark. When we take a look at you as a believer will be sealed by the blood of the Lamb. You'll wear a seal that will be noticeable. The anti, those that work for the Antichrist will have the 666, 666 on their forehead, and you will be marked with a seal. Isn't it amazing that you mentioned in your notes the difference between the Lord and King? The Lord doesn't have the signet ring to bear the seal. We see that in the story of Esther with King Xerxes. That when Xerxes gave his ring, the signet ring, with the seal, he passed it to Haman. So whatever edict was sealed became the law of the land. And be undone. Now we see the power of kingship. A king has the seal, and what he commands must be obeyed. Well, we're taught that obedience is better than sacrifice. Yes. If Jesus is Lord of our life and not King of Kings, then do we have latitude? Do we have permission? Or must we line up behind the King? Because we know that he bears the seal because we, Book of Revelation, are noted that we bear the seal mm -hmm. that we belong to Jesus which confirms his kingship. Where does the king sit? He sits on a throne. Where does Jesus sit? He sits on the throne, seated at the right hand of God. Mm -hmm. The lords come into the court to petition the king. It is the king who grants the wishes, mm -hmm. who seals with his seal. So when we look at the lordship, yes, lord of lords, but king of kings. Yeah. And we see it played out all through scripture. That so goes the head, so goes the body. Mm -hmm. And the nation is judged by the actions of the king. It's powerful and it's profound. Yeah. What are we called to do in this season? Long before you and I had this conversation, <clears throat> I was approached to write a forward to a book. Hmm. And when I was told the name of the book, The Kingdom Priesthood, <laughs> I was told the concept, but I was not told the content. And I was asked to prophetically write this. And I'm going to read this word to you. Okay. Exodus 19 and 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Those very words set in motion God's plan for not only Israel, but for all who have put their faith in his atoning sacrifice, Yeshua, Jesus. In this book, kingdom, The Kingdom Priesthood, we're challenged to rise up to the standard of a spirit-filled life that reflects the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In the natural, it's hard to wrap one's mind around a royal priesthood. It's not just a call to holiness, it's a call to authority in the spiritual realm. Just as Aaron and every high priest, Kohen Hagadol, who followed and had to make atonement for himself and be cleansed by water, we too are called to grab hold of the robe of righteousness and the garment of salvation that God so graciously bestowed upon us who believe in Messiah. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said, but ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles and their glory. You shall not boast, Isaiah 61 6. This is not a call for more religion and denominational orthopraxy. It's a call to rise up and encounter the refiner's fire. No longer can we sit on the sidelines and observe the kingdom. We must embrace the mantle placed upon every believer. The kingdom priesthood sets the tone that we must cast off the tradition of man and embrace the word as it was given. No longer can we be soiled by the mystery religions steeped in the practices of the doctrines of man, but must be cleansed in order to stand as a kingdom of priests washed in the water of the word. The armor of God is now the priestly garment and the mitre replaced with the helmet of salvation. The ephod with its 12 stones replaced with the breastplate of righteousness. 
Aaron's staff is now the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. The anointed blood of the sacrifice and the oil on the right ear, the thumb of the right hand and the big toe on the right foot is now the shed blood of Messiah with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Mm -hmm. From 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you show forth show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not ordained, obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. To be chosen and to be set apart by divine appointment, and rise up to break the chains that finally bind you to this earthly kingdom, and join together in yachad, or unity. No longer bound by conformity, but committed to transformation to what cannot in the natural, but can only happen in the supernatural. Only God can merge the DNA from the Levitical lineage with that of the royal lineage of Judah to form a royal priest, a new creation and Messiah. If my father is a Judite, I am a Judite. If my father is a Levite, I am a Levite. There is no such thing as a Judite Levite. Who your father is is who you will be. But God is supernaturally merged the DNA so that we can become a royal priesthood. In this breakthrough work, he challenges the believer to take your anointed and appointed place as a kingdom priest and answers God to call on your life. Half a book does not make a book and half an answer does not an answer make. God gave his all and all is what he's asking for from us. So we may claim our inheritance in the kingdom priesthood. You cannot be a part of a kingdom without a king. That's right. You can be a part of a community, you can be part of a church, you can be part of a government, but if you're part of a kingdom, you must have a king. And Jesus must be not just Lord, but king. Mm -hmm. That is so good. And it's so right because, you know, we, in the time of an election, we get so caught up in uh, a natural king, you know, and we, 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 look to our government as our savior. We look to the, you know, as I, as I was studying this last week, um, I was finishing a chapter for my next book and it, it's about death has lost its sting. And, um, and talking about how as the body of Christ, the boldness and the fearlessness comes because death has already been conquered. But in order to, to, have that we have to have Jesus as our king and we don't look to our government as our savior we don't look to the laws as our savior we don't and to me that's the same thing as when they said to Samuel we want to be like every other nation we want you to give us a king um, because they were rejecting God as their king in that time and um, when you become like every other nation you're giving up your special identity really, as the chosen people of God and as this royal priesthood, as, as you have so uh, clearly laid out for us. So it's a really important time that we're in. It's a really important moment to recognize that as a royal priesthood, we are set within and among the nations to follow Christ and to thrive in our identity and in, and in that kingdom with Jesus as our king. And in that way, we lead the nations into worship of this one true living God. And because our salvation only comes from him. The clarion call for today, as everyone has heard, is from Second Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name. Yeah. But again, the snippet has to be put back in context. Yes. And so if we start in verse 11, when Solomon finished the temple of Hashem and the king's palace and succeeded in all that had entered Solomon's mind to make in the temple of Hashem and in his house, Hashem appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place to be a temple of offering for me. If I ever restrain the heavens so that there will be no rain, or if I ever command locusts to devour the land, or if I ever send a pestilence among my people, and my people upon whom my name is proclaimed, humble themselves and pray, 
and seek my presence and repent of their evil ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers of this place. And now I have chosen and sanctified this temple that my name shall remain there forever. And my eyes and my heart shall remain there all days. And as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked and do all that I have commanded you and observe my decrees and my statutes, then I, I shall uphold the throne of your kingdom as I promised your father David, saying, no man of yours will be cut off as ruler of Israel. Mm -hmm. But if you turn away and forsake my decree and commands that I place before you and you go and worship the God of others, and prostrate yourselves to them, then I will uproot you from upon my land that I gave them in this temple that I have sanctified for my name. I will dismiss from my presence and I will make Israel a parable and a temple, which should be so exalted. All who pass by it will be appalled and say, why did Hashem do a thing to this land of this temple? And they will say, because they forsook Hashem, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt, and they grasped the God of others and prostrated themselves and worshipped them. Therefore, he brought all this evil upon them. If there was ever a time to remember all the things that God has done for us as a nation and as individuals, as the church, and to remember that we, the church, are the ones that God is calling upon to humble ourselves and pray so that he can hear. He is waiting to hear. He has, he is, has visited the, the, the world through this pandemic to give us a sign that, that there is changes that need to happen, that there are, there are, there are issues that we need to attend to. There is abortion and all of these other things that have grieved his heart. And he's not saying to us that I'm, I'm not here to help you. He's saying to us, if you would wake up, if you would wake up and see the signs for what they are, know that you do have a God in heaven and that if you come to me, I can help you heal your land and your nations. Now, now is the time to do that. Now is the time to do that. He is giving us a window of opportunity to do that. And we are, we are, uh, we, we need to wake up and take that opportunity. It's a call to return. In the tradition of Judaism, the first day of the seventh month, which is the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets, the mm. 10 days between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement are called the Days of Awe. Mm. They're the days of personal reflection for me to think about my inscription in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when I stand before God on the Day of Atonement, will I have an account to give? where I spent 10 days of reflection and I went and I reconciled. Yeah. You see, we take for granted that the vertical relationship we have with God through Jesus is secure. Yeah. And we forget about the horizontal. We treat each other badly. Yes. We don't speak well to one another. We don't yeah. heed the caution that Paul says, let no unwholesome talk come from your mouth, but that only that which is for the betterment and the uplifting of another and those within its hearing. Yes we become little gods and we want it our way. And God is saying, I want you to examine yourself. Yeah. Take inventory. I want you to repent. Yes. And I want you to return. And if you will do that, I'll be there waiting for you with open arms and I will right. restore all that the locusts have eaten. Amen. That's the right. Field, the fields will prosper. And so we are in that season. If we look at 2001, 9-11, as being a warning. Yes. If we look at this pandemic as a warning. If we look at yeah. the locusts in Africa as a warning. If we look at the fires in California yes. as a warning. If we yes. look at the violence on the streets throughout America as a warning. How long before judgment will come mm -hmm. if we don't stop? and raise up the body and come together with one voice, one voice, one heart, one spirit, spirit, and become the light that God has called us to be. Yeah. So bright that people will be drawn to us like a moth to the flame. Yes. 
what a what a privilege and an honor that this great god of the entire universe the creator of all things would allow us to be a nation of kings and priests it's it's such an honor and it's such a privilege and and i think that we have taken it for granted for quite a long time i read something earlier i wanted to just read it to you rabbi eric i have uh have you ever heard of ray anderson he was a professor at uh at fuller theology Theological Seminary, and I, I love his book uh, on being human. About it's a, a theological anthropology. But he writes this: um, the powerlessness and irrelevance of the church is not that it lacks tactical encounter with the world, but that its strategy is one of survival rather than sacrifice, success rather than service, and reputation rather than responsibility. And I, and I felt like after, after everything that you just explained to us about the scriptures, that this is what God is calling us out of, you know, that, that church, the gathering of the body of Christ is, is, is about a sacramental worship to the Lord, our God, who created us and brought us together and has given us this opportunity to worship and to be his people and this special people, you know, not, it's, it's not a show. It, you know, it's not a performance. Ministry is not a performance. It's not to become famous. It's not to have our 15 minutes of fame on Facebook and all these things. And I have been concerned about those things for a very long time. And I think that's why you and I have become such good friends is because we, we agree on how sobering and serious a responsibility it is to be called by the Lord, to be called his people. Not, not just to be called in a vocational ministry, but to be called as one of his own. I agree. I agree. It, playtime's over. Oh, absolutely is. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today. And uh, would you pray for us before we go? I would love it if you would pray over us. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then after you pray, I want you to tell everyone how they can get in contact with you and how they can, how they can connect with Igniting a Nation and, and all the things that you are doing right now. In Numbers chapter 6, in verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how I want you to bless the children of Israel. He goes on to say, in this way, I will put my name on them, and I will bless them. Mm -hmm. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance toward you and give you his peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus, our Messiah. Amen and amen. Amen. All right, you can find us all over. Uh, you can download the Igniting a Nation app on both Apple, iOS, and Android. You can find us on Apple TV, on Android TV, on Amazon Fire, on um, Roku. Uh, on the web at ignitinganation.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can uh, take my 20 years worth of teachings, over a thousand hours that are in the Biblical Truth Library, and you can visit there and uh, download teachings. We provide plenty for free. We have subscription services, but uh, we also have a daily show revealing the truth that's on from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Monday through Friday, and that is broadcast live around the world, of which you will be on with me tomorrow morning. Yeah. Uh, not watch this airs, but uh, you're with me on the second Friday of every month mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> in the 11 o'clock hour. And so we are delighted to have you as a part of our family, as a featured guest. And as to me, um, a true ambassador for the prophetic community, a voice of reason, a voice of clarity that is full contact mm. with the Holy One of Israel and lives in the same awe, mm. reverent fear that brings wisdom 
according to Solomon and James instruction tells you to go back to the starting point. Right. Anybody who lacks wisdom, ask for it. Well, the answer is there. Go back and read the Proverbs, mm -hmm. the beginning of wisdom. It's fear of the Lord. And you and I live in that space, and that's why we connect so well. We do. So God bless you, my friend. May your ministry be blessed abundantly, Aww. your family, and all that you're doing. And you've got a new, uh, I just saw a new cover of a, uh, a new book of, um, not declarations, but. Awakening. Mm -hmm. Awakening. Yes. Uh, a workbook. Uh, you have a. Uh, oh, yes. The four questions. Right. Uh, so you've got lots going on. I and, do. Uh, people need to connect with Kim Moss Ministries <laughs> and follow you uh, because you are a clear, a very clear voice in all of this. And so I'm proud of you. Oh, thank um, you. Thank you so much. I'm to be your friend and happy to have you in my life. <laughs> thank you, Rabbi Eric. Well, for those of you who are listening, before I let him go, uh, we just want to say, listen, if this, this podcast is airing uh, the week of the elections, I believe it's probably going to be released either Monday or Tuesday on the day of elections. If you have not voted, listen, this is your opportunity to exercise a God-given right, really, in our country to vote for, uh, for who the Lord is wanting to raise up in this country. Um, I, I'm not going to tell you how to vote because I, I shouldn't do that. I want you to pray and ask the Lord. But, I, but it's important that you vote in this election. We're in a historic moment. And it's important that no matter who gets elected, I want to say that the government is on the shoulders of Jesus. And we look to Jesus as our king, and, and he is the one who rules the government. He's the one who has all authority. And so whatever happens in our country, whatever this moment will bring us, uh, God is really the one who's on the throne. And so we look to him, we listen to him, and we obey his word and his word alone, as we also are responsible citizens and loving people in the body of Christ who speak with one voice, are unified by the spirit and, and bring righteousness to a nation. And so I wanna bless you. And I want to say that um, you have a part to play in this worldwide drama that is unfolding right now in history. And Rabbi Eric, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being my guest and for being my friend. And you always bless me, you say, so many amazing things about me it makes me blush but i of course i love it and it makes me grow and thrive i feel like a little kid and uh so thank you so much for being on and uh, i and i invite you back next time for the move forward podcast thanks for listening to the move forward podcast we'd love it if you would take a moment to subscribe and rate this podcast then share it with a friend Subscribing gets you every new episode automatically downloaded to your device. For more information and resources from Kim, visit our website at kimmoss.com.